MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Trickeration. Welcome to Trickeration, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, hello. Welcome to Trickeration, your weekly dose of stories about deception in sports. Quick thanks to everyone for following along on Twitter and Instagram at Trickeration and for sending in ideas for potential future episodes. We got a great lead on the story of Michael Jordan and the case of the missing applesauce, so we're digging into that. This week, we've got a great episode with two tales of harmless deviancy. I'll be speaking with a couple of workaround guys who wanted to watch their teams but didn't want to pay for tickets. Highly recommend the tactics from these guys. Ticket prices are too damn high. You know, I'd always had a bit of a devious streak in me. I snuck into a Duke, North Carolina basketball game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. The Masters, the final round in 2014. The soccer game in Argentina, a Wimbledon final in 2011. Mizzou, Kansas games, uh, both in Lawrence at Allen Fieldhouse and the Mizzou, Kansas game in Columbia, uh, the game of the century. The Super Bowl is one of the crowning achievements. That was the second Patriots-Giants game. Um, So there's a lot of them. This is Trevor Kloss, professional sports sneak and the author of the book Ticketless. I wanted to speak with Trevor in the hopes that he would share his blueprint for sneaking into sporting events without a ticket. And I was also curious about exactly what drove a person to make this kind of thing their life's work. How did this all begin? What was the first time you remember sneaking into a stadium? Well, it it began in Chicago. My dad, brother, and I went up to Chicago to see a Cardinals-Cubs series. We were diehard Cardinals fans from St. Louis. And we went without tickets. We were just going to sort of soak in the atmosphere outside of Wrigley Field. But my dad spotted this. They were doing some construction. They were building like a new patio outside the main entrance. 
and there is a construction area with a, a narrow pathway. All of a sudden, he grabbed my hand and my brother's hand and said, follow me. You know, And the next thing I know, we are in the concourse inside Wrigley Field, uh, and we walk up the steps, and, and that was our first sight ever of this gorgeous century-old baseball stadium that we that was a that's a cathedral of baseball and that was when i was 14 years old in 2005 so where does it go from there when do you start doing this on your own i was a freshman in college and a buddy and i went to buffalo to see our missouri tigers play in the ncaa tournament now the ncaa tournament in the first weekend has two sessions a day session and an evening session and in the evening session Gonzaga was playing. And I've also been a, a diehard Gonzaga fan since I was a little kid. And so we didn't have tickets for that second session, for the evening session. So after Mizzou won, we went up to sort of the upper deck in, uh, in Buffalo's arena. And we hid in a trash bin behind a, a curtain underneath a section of seats for about 45 minutes. And describe for me this trash bin. I mean, what size is it? Is this is like a stinky trash bin? What, what's going on in the trash bin? You know, I won't say that it was comfortable by any means, and I won't say that it smelled good because there was it was kind of covered with, I don't even know what, I don't want to think about it, grease and garbage. But we were able to, to squat and not get too dirty, and uh, and it was tolerable for 45 minutes or so. And I knew that this had a good chance of working because I had been an usher at an arena myself, at the Blues Arena in St. Louis. When you became an usher, was that just a job to have or this was to, to gain intel? <laughs> good question. Um, so I had gotten that job in high school. It was just uh, you know a way to get paid to watch Blues games. Over the couple of years and taking tickets hour after hour after hour, I learned that I didn't really have the motivation to really be on my toes and to be alert. It's just sort of a monotonous job. And I also learned how there's no layer of security. There's no second line of defense behind a ticket taker. You know, if you can imagine a stadium, you have a metal detector, which doesn't require a ticket, and then you get to a ticket taker where you're supposed to hand over a ticket. But behind that ticket taker, there's just a crowded concourse of people walking every which way, buying concessions, getting their beer, and finding their seats. So all that someone would have to do is get past that ticket taker. And again, this ticket taker is someone who's not exactly on their toes after two hours of, of taking tickets. So my idea was it wouldn't be difficult to run past the ticket taker get lost in the crowd. And even if the ticket taker cares enough to, to alert somebody, Hey, you there, stop! You know, that takes 15, 20 seconds to get a, a police officer or security guard. And by that time, the runner, the spin mover, as I, as I called myself, would be long gone. Have you ever done other methods to sneak into stadiums? I've become a bit of a historian on the art of sneaking into sporting events. People can get in by making fake media passes and basically just wearing a suit and tie and presenting yourself at the media entrance. And 
a lot of times you'll find someone is not terribly thorough about checking names off a list. People dress up as a pizza delivery man and, you know, say, hey, someone in the press box ordered these pizzas. There are a lot of great methods. But for me, the, the simplest and sort of most straightforward one was my spin move. The Super Bowl is one of the highest security sporting events, maybe the highest security sporting events in the U.S. How were you able to breach that security? The thing about the Super Bowl is that they make a big deal every year. You know, you see media stories about they're going to have roving helicopters, you know, drones, uh, you know, the NSA, the FBI, the CIA, they're all going to have cameras there. It's a bit of what I call security theater, where they make it seem like there's all this security to scare people from even trying anything, right? But the practical effects, the actual boots on the ground, aren't nearly as effective as they want you to believe. At the Super Bowl, I made a fake ticket. I found a ticket online, the image of one, and I, I cropped it and put it in a lanyard. And that's key because in a lanyard, you know, like when you go to the Super Bowl or the Masters, same thing. People don't actually hold your ticket. They don't hold it up close. So with this fake ticket, I got to the ticket taker, um, except it didn't scan. And I said, oh, well, tr try scanning it one more time. You know, what, what the hell? And miraculously, it scanned because it did have a legitimate barcode. You know, this was a, a photo that I had found online of a woman holding up her, uh, her tickets. It definitely could have screwed her over, and I would have felt really bad about that, and that's something that was weighing on my mind as I was in the game. Luckily, I went over and you know I had her ticket, and so I knew where she was sitting. And I saw the same woman from the picture that I had cropped, and she was, sure enough, in her seats beside her friend at the game. And man, I was, I was relieved because, like I said, if I had inadvertently taken away her opportunity to see the game, yeah. that would have been awful. What are the easiest sporting events to sneak into and what are the most difficult? Well, outdoor events at stadiums tend to be easier. So college football, NFL, because the bigger the stadium, the, the more easy it is to get lost. The bigger the stadium, the more staircases you'll have to get to the upper deck because security at the top is much less intense than on the main floor. So outdoor stadiums, so soccer, the NFL, college football, baseball, those are all pretty easy. The smaller you get, the more difficult it gets. So college basketball in an arena, NHL or NBA hockey games. So the bigger, the better, almost always. What are the penalties for getting caught in something like this? As best as I can tell, trespassing would be the charge, you know, a, a misdemeanor in the worst case scenario. If you make a fake ticket, maybe some sort of fraud or forgery charge. And to me, it's always been worth that gamble. I did get caught once at a soccer game in Argentina. I ran in, I got past the ticket taker, and security at this game in Argentina, in Buenos Aires, was outrageous. I mean, they take security there much more seriously than their American counterparts. So I did get past the ticket taker, but he was able to lunge out and he grabbed this hood that I had on and my body momentum stopped and uh, I kind of clanged against a, a metal railing 
and I was swarmed, you know, by 10 cops all at once, it seemed. And all they did there was kind of drag me out to the curb and push me down. And luckily they let me go without a beating or something. Tell me a little bit about the emotional uplift. Tell me how it makes you feel when you're doing it and after you're done with it. So I've gotten a lot out of it emotionally. The adrenaline rush, the celebration with my friends after we've gotten in, it's almost better than the game itself. It is better than the game itself. At the game of the century uh, in Tuscaloosa between LSU and Alabama, one year they were ranked number one and number two, myself and five of my friends snuck in. And we had designated a meeting point inside the stadium and we all got in successfully and we were just so elated to see each other, to know that we had gotten in safely. That's a moment that I'll always cherish. Now, pretend I'm someone who has never done this before. You, you take me to a stadium and you want to teach me the, you want to be the, my Mr. Miyagi <laughs> of, of sneaking into stadiums. Give me the, uh, the full rundown of someone who's never done this before and, and how you do it. Strategically, we would have to have studied the layout of the arena beforehand online, you know, look at a seating chart or something and know hopefully where the staircases are and where they lead because you don't want to get trapped on an escalator, for example, where you're just a, a sitting duck. And so we would study a bit beforehand and then we'd get to the stadium and we would take a couple laps around the entire facility. We'd be looking for ticket takers without anyone, any layer of security behind them. You know, at this entrance, are there police officers behind the ticket takers? Are there security guards or security supervisors? Is it a giveaway? Are they handing out uh, rally towels behind the ticket takers, for example? That could throw a wrench into our plans. And a lot of ticket takers are older and less agile, shall we say. So if it's someone who's who's on the older side and, but it doesn't have to be, you know, just someone who looks bored and kind of out of it and not too attentive would be, would be the, the best scenario for us. And then a, an easy, quick path to the upper levels of the stadium, ideally on a, on a staircase. And if we can find that, uh, it'll be really tough to stop us. And um, I know you have a code on when to not sneak into a stadium. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, so I think that if your team is on the verge of doing something special, you know, the Blues, when they were in the Stanley Cup final, those were not games I considered sneaking into because as confident as I am and as foolproof as my system is, there's still in the back of your mind during a game a worry that someone could recognize you, that you could get caught. And I wouldn't want to ruin a, a really special game for one of my teams. So the Blues in the Cup Final, those were games I made sure to get a ticket to and win in the normal way because I didn't want there to be any lingering doubt whatsoever. I wanted to be able to enjoy those games fully. The book is Ticketless, How Sneaking Into the Super Bowl and Everything Else Almost Held my life together and it's not just a story about how to sneak into stadiums but also about your personal journey and and how this hobby played into it thank you so much for for taking a few minutes and um i recommend that anyone who's uh interested in this hobby also get the book i mean it will pay for itself you know very quickly thanks so much trevor my pleasure thank you for having me 
All right, time for a short break. When we come back, we'll hear from an enterprising Atlanta Braves fan who hoodwinked the team into giving him the best seat in the house for any game he wanted for free. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. Um, there are just certain things that are opportunities to do fun things in life. This is Phil. Uh, life is short. Sometimes you, you have opportunities to do things that nobody else gets to do. And if that opportunity is presented to you, then you should take it. Phil is not his real name. It's an alias he uses for stunts like the one he's about to describe. The worst thing that somebody's going to tell you is no. And... If you just get over the fear of asking the question, which in my case was, well, how do I go about getting a, a free press pass? Phil is a lifelong Braves fan who wanted to be able to attend any Braves game he wanted for free, which frankly, you wouldn't think would be easy. And it was frankly pretty easy. How you might ask, did Phil obtain a Braves press pass without being a member of the press? All I had to do was ask the Braves to give me one and they gave me one. How did this whole thing start? Where does this begin? It really just started from having a friend who loved sports and wanted to be a sports writer and eventually got a job doing that. And he just said, once you come to a game with me while I'm working? And I said, sure. And of course, I thought, well, he just means I'll buy a ticket and I'll just kind of hang out while he does his thing and then we can hang out after the game. But what he meant was, is he's telling me, I've got an old photographer's pass and I'll just give you one of these. 
And I'm like, I'm not real sure this is, uh, you know, it doesn't make me very comfortable having this. And he's like, no, no, it's no big deal. I've done it before. I had a buddy of mine do this just last night and it worked fine. It's just, you know, loop it around your belt loop, pull your shirt down, kind of cover it up. You'll be fine. And I'm like, okay. And the, the pass that he gave you, the photographer's pass, did it have any marks that would make it obvious that it wasn't you? Yeah, it still had the game from before. So I think, it, I want to say it was a Phillies game and they were not playing the Phillies that night. It only showed, uh, <laughs> there was a date kind of written on the bottom, which he had clearly doctored up a little bit to make it where it was kind of hard to even read what date that was. And that was it. So really all he had to do was show there's a blue piece of, paper hanging out from underneath your shirt. Nobody really gave it a second look. And had you ever done anything like this before? The only other thing that would come close to me doing something like that would be when I was a teenager, I was also a big Georgia Tech sports fan, football in particular. I used to go to the football games. My dad would take me and we had some sort of past and it had some vague wording on there that said the holder of this card shall be granted any and all benefits thereof or something. It was just some weird thing that you just got for donating some money to the school. And one particular game, I just said, you know, I wonder if I just showed this to the attendant at the locker room, would he let me into the locker room after the game was over? And I worked my way into the tunnel where the team would head out and go into the locker room. And it turns out they never even looked at anything that I was planning to show them. Walked into the locker room. I think it was the only game that Tech had won that year. They were like one and nine. So everybody was happy and celebrating in the locker room and they were uh, you know, shaking my hand and slapping me on the back. It was just uh, kind of a fun experience to just kind of walk through there and meet all those uh, those players that uh, I looked up to at that at that age. And what level of Braves fan were you? I mean, I was a big Braves fan growing up. Uh, watched all the terrible teams of the late seventies and eighties, and of course, they started becoming good in ninety one. So I've always follow the Braves, love baseball, and follow them throughout most of my life, I would say. Now, just to set the scene, once you got into the actual stadium, you went where immediately and what was the the scene? So I think this started, and this is a long time ago, of course, but um, I think the first ones that I went to were in 99. This would be Turner Field at this point. They had a window. It was just kind of like a will call window almost. And you would walk up and tell them your name. Uh, of course, the first time I did it where my buddy just handed me a phony pass, I already had it on my person and I would just walk in and just follow him. And I followed my buddy down into the clubhouse area and walked in. And there's a just, you know, big security guard who's standing on the other side of the door. And he did stop me. He's like, hey, you can't be in here. And I thought, oh my God, he's gonna he's gonna want to look at my past. He's gonna see that it's false. And I said, I'm done for. But really, all he said, he just followed up and said, photographers can't be in here. So I just kind of made a quick 180, turned around and left as quickly as I could. But that was all he was doing in hindsight there. So they had a um, designated entryway for press, and you'd walk in, and then. Batting practice would have been starting, so you would just walk down the steps and just you pick one of the aisles kind of behind home plate. And there's you know little gates that open up to the field, and the usher would open the gate up for you, and you just walk out on the field. 
It's all just kind of surreal that you're just sort of up close to all these guys. They were a lot bigger than they seem like on TV. Uh, was one of the one things that that really strikes you, and especially during the '99, 2000, 2001, that was kind of during the the height of the steroid era. So I I'm, I feel pretty confident a lot of those guys were on steroids at the time because they were just massive, massive guys. Your friend gave you one piece of advice when. Uh... Once you were in, what what did he tell you as uh, advice? He told me you can't get autographs from players. You know, you you have access to to speak to anybody, but of course, uh, my personality is such where I'm like, well, I don't want to draw any attention to myself, and so I, I decided to go down to the the photographer's well where I felt a little more comfortable and I could take pictures with my tiny little camera that I had there. So, what kind of camera were you working with, and what kind of cameras were other photographers? And tell me about the disparity between those two things. My dad was sort of a photo hobbyist, I guess you would call him. And he just had like an old Nikon 35 millimeter camera that anybody might have who liked taking photos. But it was nothing like what an actual professional photographer would have. So the professional guys, they all had their, you know, their tripods set up. They had these just big cameras. They all had digital cameras by that, that point, too. That had just sort of transitioned over from film. They all had these enormous zoom lenses that were probably a good two feet long. I'm still I'm in there holding mine, clicking my cameras, and then winding the winding the actual film together. And they're all kind of staring at me, wondering uh, what kind of ancient technology that I'm working with. And were you a decent photographer, even though your camera was not up to snuff? No, I, I mean I. I anything point and shoot was about the extent of my experience in, in photography. So I knew how to focus, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't get it to do, uh, you know, any of the, the light adjustments that you would need. And I did get a few good accidental shots where, you know, I cap, capture the ball coming into the plate uh, in focus or something like that, or the one or two that just sort of came about by uh, pure happenstance, but not from any skill that I had. Now, you pretty much have your run of the place. Is there anywhere you can't go? Like, can you go in the dugout? Like, how close can you get to these guys? I, I was surprised by how much you could go. And I, I guess I didn't go everywhere in the stadium. I mean, if, if I wanted to really press my luck, I could have gone to the bullpen or gone out to the, the grounds crew. The, the idea to go into the dugout struck me when I was in the photographer's well. And so I just decided, well, I'm going to try it and just see what happens. They'll either stop me and say no, or they'll let me keep going. And so in between innings, I got up, you know, opened the latch and walked out onto the track that goes around behind home plate while they're doing warm-up tosses and then walked across where all the players were sitting and then went in there and nobody batted an eye. So after that first game, did you enjoy this experience and did you want to continue it? Getting to stand on the field while they do batting practice was a lot of fun. Uh, and then just, you know, you have the best seat in the house because if you're in the photographer's well, you're literally on the field, you know, maybe 30, 40 yards away from where the, the pitcher's mound is. Uh, so it was just a perspective that you just don't normally have unless you've bought seats that are going to cost you five or 600 bucks to sit behind on plate. That's when I got the idea to ask uh, my friend, how difficult would it be to get a real pass that was handed to me from the Braves so they couldn't question it in the future? So he told me, he said, all you need is a letter from your editor saying the editor is requesting a pass for X game. 
And the process was you just faxed the Braves office a letter saying you wanted one, and there it would be. Well, so, okay, well, I'll just, I'll make up a newspaper. I picked the, na- the name of the newspaper. I just picked uh, the, the town I was living in at that time, which was Duluth, Georgia. And I called it the Duluth Neighbor. And the reason I called it the Duluth Neighbor was there were about, I don't know, 20 different neighbor papers or newsletters. There was the the Cab Neighbor. There was the um, Marietta Neighbor. They were all over the city of Atlanta. So I figured that was going to be kind of hard to track because there were just a bunch of them. And I just made myself the editor. So I would just say, I am hereby requesting a press pass for the Mets on September, whatever date it was. And then I would fax it to the uh, the press office uh, for the Braves, and that was that. And, and how did you protect yourself if they did happen to call you and you weren't the Duluth neighbor? Right. So when I'd have to leave my apartment for my actual job, I, I did have a concern that the Braves might call. And so I changed my outgoing voicemail message and said, Hi, you've reached the office of the Duluth neighbor. We are not available to take your call right now, but please leave us a message and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Thank you. Why would a newspaper have a voicemail set up and not have somebody actually answering the phones when maybe actual news might be coming in, but that seemed to work? When I finally started getting the full-fledged press pass, all I had was my you know little four-by-two spiral-bound uh, notebook and, and pen. What we would usually do is we go into Bobby Cox's office at first, and you walk in, and, and Bobby's standing in there, and he's he's already got a cigar lit. His his pants are off, and so he stays there with his jersey on and no pants, and smoking a cigar, and just you know, uh, letting letting reporters uh, ask questions of the game. And I'll just write down just if he said something, I would just write it down on my little spiral bell notebook, and then we would move out to the. Uh, the open locker room area, and uh, you just start going around player to player. And so you're Smoltz, you're Glavin, you're Maddox's, you're Chipper Joneses, or whoever. Um, just I'd, I'd just follow with whoever the biggest group was, just so I would stay kind of incognito and just pretending to write stuff down uh, as as I went. So if I was in the press box, I would get a uh, a box score, and I would just write just you know follow the box score and write that out during the game just to look busy if I were sitting up there, you know, eating their free food and stuff. Um, The other interesting thing during the game is the amount of groupies that would show up uh, and they would try to get the attention of different players as they were in the batter circle. Uh, There were usually some women who were were there to uh, attract the attention of the, the better looking players like Mike Piazza for sure. Funny. And how many games would you say you attended? And then what was your plan going into the next season? I wanted to be careful not to be too well-known. The more familiar I became, the more at risk I'd become. You know, I didn't want to have the the Braves uh, higher-ups be on the lookout and have, like, wanted posters for me or something. But I only did it for three or four years or so, I pretty much had stopped either 2002 or 2003. I just sort of stopped going. And it's kind of a lonely experience, especially if you're, you know, you're not allowed to uh, hang out and cut up with your buddy. You're just supposed to sit and and watch objectively and not cheer, not do any of these things. So it was kind of like, well, I did all this cool stuff. 
I'd rather just sit in the stands and have a beer with my friend and, and watch the game at this point. So that was sort of it going forward. You realized what every sports reporter knows, which is that it's not that fun. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty boring uh, work. It's tedious in a sense. Once you get past all the uh, the fame and and uh, starry eyes, then it, uh, it sort of fades away. Well, it's a great story, and I find it very inspiring. So thank you, Phil, for um, talking, and um, best of luck on your next endeavor, whatever it may be. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, and enjoy talking to you as well. All right, that is it for this week. Thank you to everyone for listening. Next week, I'll be talking with former angel Jim Abbott, without a doubt the greatest one-armed pitcher in MLB history. We'll be talking at length about one pitch he threw during the 1993 season that resulted in a foul ball, not to be missed. And a reminder, if you're liking the episodes, please rate and review wherever you listen. If you are not liking them, do not rate and review. Repeat, do not rate and review. And as always, for the final word, we go to Chris Mad Dog Russo. Mad Dog, how'd we do today? Maddie, good job. Keep up the good work, pal. All right. Thanks, Mad Dog. See you next week. Trickeration is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.